get to become the bride? How can a man get to be a bride? We are masculine. Africa is a, is a continent of patriarchy. We are proud men. We straight. There mustn't be any gray areas with us. Then we begin to read the scriptures and the Bible says we get to be the bride. That becomes a frustration for a black man from Ganongoma. It becomes an area of confusion. But we must understand, family, that uh, we are talking spiritual matters, not natural matters. These are spiritual things, and they must be spiritually discerned. Amen. So when we talk about us being the bride as men, we must understand that we are talking spiritual language spirit speaks to spirit amen when god speaks to us he's speaking to our spirit being our spirit man so why though is it difficult one of the reasons why it's difficult for a man to relate to that concept of being a bride is because we look at holy scriptures from the perspective of a fallen man we are fallen people we live in a fallen world even the very uh, idea of marriage is distorted because it's not what our attempt at marriage is falls flat already from how god looks at marriage so when we talk about the bride and the groom we often look at it from the perspective of our fallenness. So by the time we interpret scripture, there's a lot of strange ideas creeping up in our head. Because we, we, we are trying to answer questions that God is not even asking, God is not even interested in. So our idea, family, I know that our idea of marriage is on the basis of our humanity our physiology, our sensuality. Because in our marriage, there's a sensual aspect to it. That's why God introduced sex in the marriage. See, that's how we look at marriage. That's not how God looks at it. Because sex sexual um, interaction between a husband and wife is for the purposes uh, on earth for specific things to be achieved in the earth. And they have a, a lifespan. Sex has a lifespan. It only exists in the earth for a particular point in time. So when God speaks to the church, when he says, you are my bride, he does not have all the ideas of fallenness that you and I might have. So. I felt I should just address that because it's important. To God, marriage is different. See, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Now, again, because this is one of the fundamental scriptures. There is no better scripture that gives us the idea that indeed the church is the bride of Christ than this one. You see, Bible, the word of God often uses what they call metaphors. Metaphor. The metaphors. The Bible is full of metaphors, by the way. This is why it's very dangerous to interpret the Bible in a certain way because sometimes we think God is, um, is using metaphors, but he's being literal. Sometimes we think he's being literal, but he's, he's just metaphorical in that expression. So we must be able to understand the language of the scriptures. The Bible is, a, is literature. So the laws and uh, what they call rules of literature, they apply also in the Bible. In other words, in our interpretation of scripture, those laws do not fall away because now we are talking about a holy book called the Bible. They are called conventions of interpretation, conventions of language. They are rules that are, it, it, it does not matter what text you are dealing with. If you are to interpret text, there are rules you must abide by. Uh, there's something called context, there's pretext, there's foretext, there's, there's a lot of things that happen when we interpret scripture. So what I'm saying to you that when we read the word of God, we also must be aware that there are laws that, we are, that must be applied in interpretation. So I'm saying that when we read the Bible, sometimes we come, especially in the book of Revelation, the Bible speaks uh, there often in metaphors. Metaphor is basically a figure of speech. Let me give you an example. In the Songs of Songs or the Songs of Solomon, uh, they are speaking there of, 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 she's speaking of her beloved. It's a woman speaking of her beloved. She says his arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns or pillars set on bases of gold. Now, does he, the person being made reference to here, does he really have rods of gold? No. Their legs are set with jewels. No. Are his legs alabaster legs? No. It's a metaphor, out a metaphor. What's a metaphor? A metaphor when two things are compared, two things which are compared because they have similar characteristics. I'll, I'll say she is a rose because when I look at her, the characteristics of a rose, she resembles certain features about her. When I look at her, I think of a rose. She's a butterfly. She's He's a lion. He's a lion. He does not roar. He doesn't have four legs. It's metaphorical. I'm saying because he is so bold. He's bold because he's bold. Therefore, I'm saying he is a lion. So the Bible is filled with metaphors. 
when we interpret the Bible, we must understand that sometimes God will use metaphorical language to communicate truth to his people. Let the church say amen. So the relationship between Jesus and the church, his love for the redeemed nations, amen, is seen in heaven as equivalent to a groom in relationship with a bride. Do you understand, family? When they look at, because of the immense nature of his love, because of the power and the glory and the weight of the Lamb's love for the redeemed nations, there is no other categorization. They, they place it within a marriage context. Only a marriage context can be able to reflect this kind of love. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. So, I want to assure all the men who are listening this morning and the gentlemen who, who are here uh, that we will not become women when we get to heaven far from it we shall not transform into ladies just because the bible says we are the bride of christ it shall not happen when he says we are the bride he is not making us effeminate he is not feminizing our masculinity which we are so proud of as men he is relating a situation whereby there is someone who is boiling over with so much love and he wants to pour it out on someone. So he calls them the bride. Hallelujah. Amen. So the term bride is used in scripture to refer to the recipients out recipients recipients of god's love and care in eternity let me repeat that the term bride is used in scripture to refer to the recipients of god's love and care in eternity it includes both male and female so we get to be the bride because we are the target of God's love. We are the target of his grace. We are the target of his mercy. We are the target of all that's good. He wants to pour it out. And he calls that target the bride in Jesus' name. So in eternity, family, all the saints collectively will receive and experience the unending attention, unending love, unending care of the Creator. Throughout all eternity, that will be our experience in glory. We are called the bride. We are the central focus of God's love and care in eternity. I pray that helps you in terms of understanding where we fit in as men in this whole thing, in Jesus' name. So according to the Lord, 
according to the Lord, we are his bride. He is the groom. I want you to settle that once and for all. And I want you to be comfortable with that because you are not about to be changed by some angel. And no, we will be as bold as lion, strong and mighty in the presence of the Father in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Another thing I wanted to understand, family, as we carry on, Jesus does not model his marriage relationship with us on earthly marriages. So that also must help you. He is glorious. The marriage, he, he makes reference to it's something we have never seen before. There is no marriage on planet earth that can resemble what the Lord Jesus wants to do in and through his church. His idea of marriage supersedes by far any great and glorious relationship that you have ever seen anywhere on earth. So, last point in definition of these terms. Can I have some that, that um, tissue? I left my hanky somewhere. So, last point I want to make, Bazalwani, as we, thank you, Mamji. Last point I want to make as we, as we define these terms. Love is fully demonstrated within the context of marriage. I want you to understand that. Love is fully demonstrated within the context of marriage. We spoke a little bit about marriage last week. So understand that Jesus uses marriage as a legal, a legal framework, Bongi, as a legal framework to, to expand his love on humanity. Amen. So, now let's move on. Having laid that foundation, let's then move on uh, and talk about what the Lord is restoring. Restoring. The Lord, Mama Um Fundisukileza, the Lord wants our bridal identity to be restored. I want you to know that if you are writing notes at home, I want you to understand that God wants to restore our bridal identity as the church because that's where emotion is that's where intimacy is that's where true worship is that's where we we begin to feel what he feels that's when we know that we hurt him when we sin that's when we know that we are breaking his heart when we do stuff we are not supposed to do it's only when we relate with him as the groom and we are, uh, we are the bride that we are able to understand the pain that he feels when we pray covenant until our identity, our bridal identity is restored. I will sin without feeling anything and then go to prayer and just say a five second prayer, I repent and then go back to it. Because I cannot relate. I don't see him as someone whose heart can be broken. But once I understand that I am breaking the groom's heart, something happens. So we are betrothed. How to betrothed? We see that word for the first time in, in Matthew. I think it is in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's Mary and Joseph. We're going to talk about that later on. 
Today, I wanted to, to, to have an idea of, of what is in the mind of God. It's amazing. Amen. So, we are betrothed, you and I are betrothed to one man. Today, I want you to know that we are betrothed to one man. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We are called to be faithful to him. We are called to walk with him in holiness and purity. We are called to walk with him, to live this life knowing that we are already engaged. As you are already going to discover, we're going to discover that today, we are engaged in the spirit. There is a ring on our soul of engagement. As long as that's there, we must be faithful to him. In Ephesians 5, the Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Last line. And I'm saying that in reference to Christ and the church. Amen. So what do we do now, family? What do we do? What does the Lord expect of us as his people? When we realize that we must relate with him on these basis at this level of relationship and intimacy, what do we do? So this morning, I need to show you, Basilwanukutim, we have already made a commitment to one man, you and I. If you are a born-again believer, Andy Sewe, you have already made a commitment. You have already made a commitment to one man. I'm not talking about uh, young people getting worried when you talk, talk about these things. Does that mean I'm not going to get married? No, I'm not talking about them. Bunk will get married. I mean, and you don't worry. I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about it. In actual fact, I'm going to call all of you in front and, and pray for God to give you a husband. That's how passionate I am about you getting married. So just close that chapter so that you're free and delivered, all right? No, I'm talking about things of the spirit. Okay, so, all right. Do you understand that, Andy? You're good with that. All right. Marriage is coming, so don't worry. I'll pray for it. All right. Amen. Hallelujah. I could see, um, um, I could see the, the spirit just kind of 
People are getting depressed. Don't get depressed. The Lord Jesus wants you to live well. Do not uh, be alone in your 50s and 60s. There must be a man, God-loving man, who can spend life with you. All right. Amen. We are spiritually engaged. All spiritually engaged. Our groom is from a distant land. But we are here. As you are going to find out that according to uh, ancient culture, after betrothal, he had to go. And we remain. We're going to discuss that. I'm not going to finish everything today. I'm going to just touch a few things because it's the first um, teaching on this. But I want you to know that we are spiritually engaged. Our groom is from a distant land. We need to prepare ourselves for the wedding to the Son of God. So while we are here, he expects us to prepare ourselves for the wedding. There are things expected of us while we remain in the earth. We need to make ourselves ready for what the Bible calls the marriage supper. Amen. Now, to do this, Bazalwane, we need to go back to ancient Israel and see how someone in our position uh, behaved and how they prepared themselves when they had been betrothed. So, a traditional, now, why don't you listen to me very carefully because. I'm now beginning to address this with you. A traditional Jewish uh, marriage had what they call five categories, or to five, five categories or five customs in ancient Israel. I don't know what they do today, probably they do, still do the same, I'm not sure. But in ancient Jewish culture, a, 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 a Jewish marriage had five categories. Number one, they had something called the arrangement of marriage. They called Shidukin. The arrangement of marriage. I'm going to talk about the first two today. It's very powerful. The arrangement of marriage. The guy was not involved in that. The groom had no part in that. The father had to choose the groom, which my young daughters don't want to hear anything to do with it. Amen. All right. The second one was called the betrothal ceremony. It's called Erusin in Hebrew. Number three, then they had the preparation period between the betrothal and the wedding. So once the woman had been betrothed to her groom, what was supposed to be happening in the interim period before the wedding? So that's what that addresses. Number four, the wedding ceremony itself. Uh, Nisiwin. Number five, then the wedding feast. Number four and number five will happen in heaven, according to Revelation. Now, let's discuss this briefly, family, because this is very important. If we can grasp this today, and what we're going to discuss maybe on Wednesday, I don't know, maybe next week's Sunday. If we can grasp this family, I tell you now, and I'm trusting God for you, that from this day onwards, we will relate, we will look at ourselves differently. Wherever you put your foot, you must be very careful how you're treading in life. I know that we are fallen people, 100% human and 0% angelic. I know that from time to time we, 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 we stumble. 
I'm not talking about, I'm talking about intentional sin. I'm talking about doing stuff because you count on the grace of God. Because you know that God is going to forgive me. There are things that you will not do once you, your, your bridal identity has been restored. There are things that you will shun because you know that they break his heart. He left us here counting on us. He does not check on us coming every day to see if you are He counts on us. He has given us. I'm going to come to that. But I want you to know that the father of, okay, let's, let's just start this way. Number one. Why don't you write this word? The arrangement of marriage. I'm going to address that just briefly because I, I, I feel like jumping everywhere. But let me just, just, just deal with this layer by layer. The arrangement of marriage was the first thing that happened there. So according to this uh, tradition, uh, custom, the father of the groom arranged the marriage. The father of the groom arranged them. They are called fixers. So they, he arranged the marriage. Now we see this in the Old Testament. Remember that story? Uh, Abraham sends a servant to go find a wife for his son Isaac. Remember that in Genesis 24. Why did he do that? Because that was the culture at the time. Uh, the father sent Someone to go find bride for his son. Now, we have been chosen by God for his son. We have been chosen by God himself for his son. That's why John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Ephesians, the Bible uses the word predestined. It says we have been predestined. Uh, pre, before, destined, destination. In other words, before we, we even got here, God, the Father, had us in his mind for his son. He preferred us. He chose us. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, it, talks, it, it speaks of, talks of foreordination. We have been foreordained. God chose us. God chose you for Jesus. He saw you that valuable, that worthy. He wanted you individually for his son. Because he believes in the power of the blood to wash you, to restore everything about, irrespective of your background, of wherever you come from, he has power to restore you to such a place that you are worthy of his son. That's what he, he, he specializes in restoring those who have been broken to such a point that he elevates you to a status whereby when Jesus looks at you, he says, this is good. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. So I want you to know this morning that God chose us for his son. As much as the father chose the bride, I want you to know this. 
even in ancient culture, the bride still had to agree. Out of the bride still had to agree. Remember Rebecca? Rebecca was the woman that was found when Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for his son Isaac. The name of the young woman that was found was called Rebecca. Even Rebecca was asked if she agreed to go work with Abraham's servants to marry Isaac, Abraham's son. She was asked if she agreed. Likewise, we cannot, you cannot be forced into relationship. I cannot be forced into relationship with the Lord Jesus. You must agree. I must agree on the basis of your yes. On the basis of your yes, I accept you. I receive you. Then we form a relationship. Remember that uh, chapter 24, it says, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to him, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. In this relationship, we spoke a few weeks ago that God does not invade. He comes by invitation. In every relationship, God will never force himself upon you. He will love me. He will love you until your last breath, until your heart stops beating. That's when he backs off. Having tried to woo you, to persuade you, to come into relationship with him. Hallelujah. So after the bride said yes to the marriage proposal, before the betrothal, then there was the marriage contract. They call it ketubah. Mom, she knows these things. She studies uh, Jewish. She gets excited. Ketuba. Amen. So there was a marriage contract. I was supposed to bring my physical Bible today to show you something. Now, a marriage contract was a document full of promises. It was like a covenant, uh, uh, Mom Kelly's, a, a pact. Now, in that contract, the groom promises to support his wife, it's written. He promises to support his wife to be. In this written contract, the groom promises that I will love you. I will care for you. In the same document, which you and I have, it's still the case today. Can I have your Bible, please, uh, Mom J, the, the, the physical Bible? Can somebody scrap that, please? Thank you. So it was, it was a written contract. In the contract, the groom put every benefit that his wife would enjoy if she said yes to the relationship. In the book, in the contract, it said how he would love and care for her. Just like the Lord has left us what you see in my hand, 
It is that contract. It's the Lord wooing us to say, look at what I will do. Look at what you will get to enjoy if you would say yes to a relationship with me. In that contract, Nelson, the groom also stated what they call the dowry. The dowry is what you and I call ilobolo. It was specified that I see you worth this much. You understand in that culture, they were like objects, you know, because that was the culture, they just bought them. But in the contract, it was stated in black and white exactly how much the groom was willing to pay. It was revealed in the contract. The Lord Jesus in this book, in this contract, in this new testament, in this new covenant, it is revealed how much he was willing to pay for you. For in the Bible it says, you were bought with a price. Do not become born servants of men. What price? It continues to say in First Peter, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He says, I love you enough. That's my dowry. That's how much I'm willing to put down for you that you may spend eternity with me in the heavens. That's what the groom had to do. It had to be revealed in the contract. The contract revealed his willingness also to provide. It had to be seen before the betrothal. The family had to sit together and study the contract to see if they could release their daughter to this man on the basis of the contents of the contract. When you look at the word of God, I want you to look at it in that light. So he reveals everything in here. He tries to, what he knows he is able to do based on his resources. So the Bible says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. There are lots of other scriptures in the Bible where the Lord shows us how he seeks to meet our need and how he seeks to provide for us. Should we choose him? Should we choose to be in relationship with him? Say amen. So, family, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. I want you to look at your Bible when you read it. You are reading a contract. You are reminding yourself. I'm reminding myself that while he remains in heaven, what does he want me to remember? 
What has he said that I must not forget? What has he promised that I must not forget? Amen. So this is exactly what Jesus has done. Out of contract. Out of testament. Out of covenant. Out of pact. He commits himself. He commits himself in the book. He says, he will wash all your sins away. It's written here. If you were to come in relationship with him, he will see that all our sins are washed away. He will see that we are sanctified and purified. If we were to choose to come in relationship with him, he would glorify us with a new body. It's promised. It's in the book. That's what he says in the contract. He says he would guarantee eternal security. He calls it eternal life. It's guaranteed. That's what he presents. Who refuses such a solicitor? Who refuses such a one who puts everything on the table and he leaves nothing hidden? He says, this is my heart for you. He says, I will honor, I will bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Ephesians 1.3. Who denies such a one? Who rejects such a one? Who has promised you something better show me a solicitor with a better covenant contract and pact who promises you eternal life when your heart seizes up on you and stops who says to you as soon as your breath leaves your body you are in my presence i promise you you shall not be doomed you shall not be lost into eternal damnation but on the other side, I'll be waiting for you because our relationship is eternal. Such is the contract that he has put together. Now, family, if the contract in ancient culture was good enough after they had seen it and the price was irresistible, to the council, the family, the groom would pour a glass of wine for the bride. Now, if she was willing to drink, it would indicate her acceptance of the proposal. If she was willing to drink of the cup, it said that we are accepting that from this point onwards you are betrothed to me. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also took the cup. After supper saying, this cup is the new covenant, is the new contract in my blood. Do this 
as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It was at this point then, Bazalwan, that the couple were considered betrothed. Out of betrothed. They have seen the contract. He poured the wine into the glass. If she took the wine and drank it, it then said she agreed. Then, number two, the betrothal ceremony, the erusin. Say hallelujah. Isn't that glorious? Hallelujah. Now, the betrothal. The bride and the groom were required to partake in what they call mikveh or ritual cleansing. Mikvah is the same word that is used for baptism. Mikvah was a ceremonial demonstration in the ancient culture of a person transitioning from the unclean to clean, from defiled to undefiled, from old to new, from death to life. From one culture to another culture. From one system to another system. From one household to another household. From one set of rules to another set of rules. To one set of code of ethics. To another set of code of ethics. From one set of values. What they valued here. Now here we value this. So they would go through what they called mikvah. Mikvah, mikvah. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. When Jesus, when you get born again, the Bible is very clear that you and I must be baptized. Jesus preceded us in the experience. By the time you get Baptized with us fulfilling the equation. Amen. So that you can indeed be betrothed to him. Amen. So in ancient Israel family, betrothal was between a year or two. There was the duration uh, for that particular uh, thing to happen. They were considered married, but they did not live together. In other words, they were not allowed to uh, be in sexual relationship. Legally, they were married, as married as anything, but they did not live together. So it was also at this time that the bridegroom would present gifts to the bride. Because after this, the groom would go to prepare a place for her he would we're going to discover that we're going to talk about that in the next in the next sermon the groom had to go for about a year to build a house for her only when the father said the house was fine everything was in order then the groom would then go back to fetch her even the groom did not know when he was going to get married because it was on the basis of the father endorsing, looking at the mansion that he had made for the woman, to say, okay, now you can go and get her. So, 
Because at this time that the gifts were given, the purpose of gifts family was to show his appreciation for his bride. Number two, to help her remember him, to remember his voice, to remember his face, to remember the contract that he had given her. Now, during the betrothal period, when they wouldn't see each other, their gift would be given as a sort of a comfort. A comfort to the bride because he is not here. What are you leaving me with? How do I remember you? A year is a long time. Me not seeing your face. Leave me something. Leave me something. Let me touch something. Let me, let, let, let me interact with you without you. Let me interact with something that would remind me of you as much as you are not here physically. But the comforter, even the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said unto you. Even everything that is revealed in that contract, he will remind you when you feel like the time has been so long, when you feel like I've been away for too many years, I am leaving you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. In Greek, they call him parakletos. He's our companion. He's the one who tells us to keep going. When we feel like giving up, when we feel like it's been too hard without you here, he begins to speak. He begins to whisper. He says it's going to be okay. It is going to be all right. He's not away too far. He's going to come at any time, at any given moment. He begins to whisper to you in the secrecy of your private space under that blanket. He begins to speak and whisper hope. He speaks faith. He speaks comfort. He speaks life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. He gave gifts. He gave gifts. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Hallelujah. Let's stand, family. Next week, we'll touch on the preparation period between the betrothal and the wedding. We'll talk about the ten versions who are supposed to be alert, waiting for the groom to come back to return. Let us pray for you. Father, we thank you. Lord, Rebbe Shantela Rababo Satea. Momen Rebbe Shtelor Mondria Satea. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we are now betrothed to the Lord. We are forever His. He is forever ours. 
We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that even as we read the contract, we see these divine promises in your word. We see these divine promises. We are touched by the price that you have paid, that you gave your only begotten son and he shed blood. He saw us worthy for him to shed his very blood. To die on the cross for us. So, Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We have been purified for him through the cleansing of baptism. And if there is anyone in this place not baptized, definitely they will. Father, we thank you that we have drunk. We have drunk of the wine in holy communion. And we have said yes. When we partook of that cup, we said yes. We said, we are yours and you are ours. We committed ourselves. So we give you praise. Lord, restore our bridal identity this morning. Restore our bridal awareness, the fact that we are the bride of Christ. Restore in us, in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of... Mamchi, come pray just briefly. We give you praise, oh God. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory, Father. We thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift, oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us as orphans, Father, but you gave us the promised Holy Spirit. He is with us. He is living in us, teaching us, preparing us, oh God, we thank you, Father, for the gift, this guarantee, the, the guaranteed Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that he is a spirit of wisdom. He is a spirit of knowledge. He is the spirit of understanding. He is the spirit of might. He is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. He is the spirit of the Lord. He is the spirit of counsel. We thank you, Father, that we have everything in, we need in him. We thank you, Father, for this promised Holy Spirit, that he is enough. He is enough. We bless you, Father, that Holy Spirit, you are enough. We want to acknowledge you, even as you are given to us. And we repent for every place in us that has denied you your place, Holy Spirit. Because you are enough. You are enough. You are enough for us to make it. You are enough to prepare us to be worthy of the Son of God. To be worthy of the King of Kings. To be worthy of the Lord of Lords. Father, we pray even this, uh, this morning that you help us as the church to walk with you in alignment with your spirit. Father, to walk in the spirit so that we do not gratify the desires and the passions of our, of our flesh, oh God. Help us, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So before you go, let's lift up your hands before you go. Everybody, lift up your hands. 
Say, Lord Jesus, restore me, restore me. I want everybody to say that, restore me, restore me, restore my identity. Father, restore us, restore us this morning. Restore each and every person in this place. Restore our identity, our young people, our women, our men, here and not here. Father, restore, restore us in the name of Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon your people. May this coming week, Father, be a week of growth and opportunity. May it be a week of divine appointments. We come against freak accidents. We come against the plottings and the machinations of the enemy. We come against, Father God, the spirit of death, premature death. We pray that no one in this place shall die before their time. But, Father, we shall live in your divine plan and purpose. Until we have fulfilled our prophetic destiny in the earth. The things we are meant to do and to accomplish, we shall do because your hand is upon us. Father, we even pray for more days to our life, more years, because there's so much to do. We pray that we don't die until we've achieved and fulfilled everything we are brought here for. The generation that's dying in this nation, in this province, the generation going to hell. I thank you for the people in this place and those at home. Father God, that you are raising us to be an army. To be those who will stand between hell and uh, the generation. Father God, and begin to fight and begin to pray and intercede on their behalf in Jesus' name. Anoint your people today and restore in us that bridal identity and passion and love for our Father. In Jesus' name, And the church said, Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you, family. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you, Zoom. That's still connected. 